You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. And anger over offenses that were committed to us. We find ourselves bitter and angry. And if we're really honest, I think we would have to admit that the reality of prison is what is happening in our own lives, not in their life. We're really not doing anything to them at all by holding something against them. We're in a prison cell ourselves, and it is a prison of our own making. You're holding on to a grudge that you simply will not let go of, and it's eating away at you, eating literally away at your heart and your soul. Literally killing you. And you've become cold and hard and joyless. But you justify it because they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. The simple fact is that the real prisoner is you. And the last thing on your mind right now, when it comes to that relationship and that wrong, is an act that you might call impossible. Forgiveness. You see, I believe that it is by God's design that we ended last year our one another series where we did and coming just in order of looking at them in the New Testament that the very first one of 2019 is be kind and forgiving toward one another. I think that forgiveness is something that we all struggle with and if we're honest, we all wish that we would, we would ourselves have a clean slate. And yet, as we come to the beginning of the year, it's not something that we think about. And I think that forgiveness, whether it needs to be given, whether it needs to be asked for or received, is something that is so common. I don't think it would be an overreach to say that it touches every single life in this room and potentially every single life in this room in this very moment. Something that you're struggling with within your own heart. That fight with your spouse, the harshness that you had towards your children this week, that family relationship or friendship that has been strained and even estranged for years, bitterness toward a parent or a sibling for something that happened in the past, anger toward a pastor or another spiritual leader in your life or even an entire church. You see, the list writes itself, doesn't it? If you think about your life. So here at the start of a new year, I don't believe that it's any accident that God wants to speak to your heart today regarding this particular subject, forgiveness. A command, by the way, from God Himself that says, be kind and forgiving toward one another. So if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we look to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 25. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Therefore, 
Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Father, there are no doubt this morning struggles in this room with any number of different offenses. God, those offenses, many of them were not right. There were things that were done unjustly and it would seem, at least in our humanness, that it would make sense and it would be just for us to hold on to that offense until it is made right by the other person. And yet Your Word does not give us that freedom. Your Word says to us that we are to forgive one another. And so I pray that what seems unnatural and even impossible in our own hearts and our own minds, God, that You by Your Spirit would create it in us this morning. That those of us in this room who know Christ would be reminded of how much You have forgiven us. And God, that we would in return pour out that forgiveness, deserving or undeserving, by our own measure, that we would pour out that forgiveness on those around us, especially those closest to us, but without reservation on all people. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in this room who needs to receive forgiveness, maybe is in active wronging of another, that they would repent and receive the forgiveness that comes from that person for their actions. But even more than that, Lord, I pray that we in this room would be made aware of how great Your forgiveness is of us. Such that You would shed the blood of Your only Son. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so be with us now and teach us from Your Word, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> you know, at first glance, if you read this, you might read it like you would read Exodus chapter 20. You might begin in this paragraph and read through kind of a list of things that you should incorporate into your life. Things like not stealing and not sinning in your anger and, and things like speaking truth to your neighbor. You, you might begin to make a list of commandments that you see in this Passage, And I think that if we're not careful, that's the way that we'll leave it. And yet, if you read the context of Ephesians 4, really 
the first three chapters of Ephesians leading into chapter 4, what you'll discover is that these aren't a list of commands at all. In fact, there's really one main idea in this paragraph and the first verse or so of chapter 5. It's the beginning of the way Paul intended for the church, God's people, not any one particular church, but the church at large. It's, it's the way for God intended for us to live out being in the gospel, being saved, being born again, knowing and being in Jesus, having been born again and become a, a new man, a new creation, a new woman. You, you act and look like Jesus. Your character is different. Your desires are different. And, and Paul says this is one of the ways, church, that you now live that out. And so what you find in, in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 is the most beautiful display. By the way, when we finish the one another's, we're going to come to this book and walk through it together. And so that's coming in a few months. But the first three chapters of Ephesians, you'll notice, are this beautiful picture of the gospel. If you want to be reminded of what God has done from eternity past into eternity future for your sake, for your salvation, then read the first three chapters of Ephesians. And I I promise you, you will be stirred with faith. Because long before you were ever born, God was doing something for your salvation. And it is an incredible thing that God would do that for us as we are sinners separated from Him. But He loves us. And so Paul says, out of that beautiful gospel, this great and glorious gospel, I therefore, this is verse 1 of chapter 4, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he begins to list some characteristics, but the, the next few chapters are all about what it looks like to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. But the very first thing that Paul deals with is the subject of unity. He talks about being in, uh, being, um, uh, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. This is verse 3. In the bond of peace, one body, one Spirit, one hope, one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all. And through all and in all. He's encouraging the church that you've been saved by this gospel. And so now you are one. But as he begins to work through and demonstrate what the old life looked like and the new life looks like. He gets to chapter or verse 25 of chapter 4. And he comes back to their relationships with one another. And so now we discover that chapter 4 and verse 1, that first part of that passage and how they're to grow up. And they're, they're so immature in the faith. The reason why he gave these commands about unity was because something was wrong. And that's what we see in chapter chapter, chapter 4, verse 25. They're lying to one another. They're, They're being angry and sinning against one another. They're stealing from one another. There's all kinds of corrupt things coming out of their mouths. There's the kind of behavior that looks more like pre Christ than post Christ. And as a result, there's these offenses. Probably in their lives, there's some things that happened even before Christ that they're all holding on to. You know, you hurt me way back when and, and you did this to me and I could never forgive that. And, and yet they find themselves all in the same church under the same roof, worshiping the same God with the same gospel. 
And Paul is saying that's not what life looks like as a Christian. There is a new kind of relationship, a reconciliation that happens between believers whereby those who offend are no longer offenders and those who are offended are no longer those who have been offended. They, they come together in common bond, together in the Spirit of God and some things, church, must take place in order for that to happen. And Paul says really two of those things. Be kind to one another and forgive one another. The only way this is going to happen is if the offender lays down those things which he was doing and the offended lays down those offenses and they come together and restore a right relationship. And this is the picture that we have in this paragraph. In fact, if you're reading this carefully, you'll really see that verse 32 is the big idea of the passage. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. That is the, that's the thrust of what Paul is getting at. Everything else is just really examples of not doing that. But his, past, his, his main idea is that we would be forgiving. And so we are left with a very simple key truth in this passage. And it is this. The love of Christ is on display in the church, or you might even say championed in the church, when we are kind and forgiving toward one another. The love of Christ is on display in the church when we are kind and forgiving toward one another. You might ask the question, how do we love like Jesus loved? And Paul would say, be kind and forgive one another. You might ask the question, what does Jesus' love look like when we are loving one another just as Jesus called us to do? What does that look like? Well, it's, it's most obvious, it's most clear, it's most like Jesus when we're being kind toward one another and forgiving one another. In fact, if we want Jesus to be real and alive in this church in a way that people outside the church would go, Jesus is there, they're different, they look like Christ. I, I want to know the Jesus that they love and that they preach and that they tell about. Then we will be the kind of people who are kind toward one another and loving toward one another. That extends beyond just church relationships, but certainly it is true of the church as, as Paul is rather writing to the church here at Ephesus. He writes a similar thing to the church at Colossae. Chapter 3 and verse 13. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And so he gives us this command. So I want you to notice a couple of things about this command before we go any further. Notice that it is a command. When he says to the church, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. It is not a suggestion. This is an expectation of God. This is not be kind and forgiving if you feel like it, right? This is not be, be kind and forgiving if the offense was not, not too bad. This is not be kind and forgiving if, if the person comes back and says to you, I'm sorry. Rather, this is a command given without conditions. Paul says, be kind and forgiving to one another, period. That is your command from God. Be kind and forgiving to one another. It is a command, first off. But then secondly, notice that it is an umbrella expression. 
It is not a command that just simply covers the offended party, but rather it is an expectation for both the offender and the offendee. It is an expectation to both of them. So when we're told to be kind, it is in a direct response to all of the other things that were happening before it. And then tenderhearted. There's going to need to be a a tenderhearted deal where there's a person who may not deserve kindness and yet you need to be compassionate, tenderhearted toward them. And by the way, that means you're going to have to forgive. See, all these things are interlocked. It's the way the church responds to one another. The way believers respond to one another. And so there, this idea of forgiveness is not just one simple little word. It's not just saying, I forgive you. It is more active than it is vocal. The idea of biblical forgiveness is an act more than it is a phrase. So what does it look like? Well, Paul gives us some things that I want to just point you to. Three very simple things. And and again, you you see this and it looks like quite a a few things, but they are examples. And so in the process of forgiveness, what are the things that happen? What are the things that should happen biblically? Well, Paul does not leave out the offender. In fact, he addresses the offender first. And so beginning, the the very first principle that we need to understand about forgiveness is that it calls us to repent of our offenses. You need to repent of your offenses. So notice he gives some examples of repentance. Chapter 4 and verse 25, he says, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Paul openly condemns dishonesty. He says it should not be present among you as believers. You should not speak falsehood among one another. You, you might take that and think, well, he's, he's talking about false teaching, but he's talking about everyday one-on-one personal dealings with one another. And there, there are so many ways in which we just casually shade, color, distort the truth and therefore lie to one another. And you might, you might cover it up with any number of different ways, but Paul says dishonesty is, is a problem. Why? He says because we're members of one another. So if you're going to be the, the, the kind of person who loves chapter 1 through 3, Paul says, if you love the gospel, then you're a person who's going to put away your dishonesty. You're not going to go on living like that. You need to repent of those things. And it is a direct offense toward your neighbor, toward one another, when we are dishonest with each other. Because we're members of one another. You wouldn't lie to yourself. Because we're one body, certainly we want to be honest with one another. And there are many marriages and many friendships and many church relationships and many, many other relationships that have been broken because of dishonesty. When trust is broken and when no longer can we trust the, the words or the actions of another person. And so that is a great offense. And Paul says we need to repent of those things. Put it away. The idea of repentance, by the way, is not just being I'm sorry for something. It's not just simply shedding a few tears over an action. Repentance is literally a turning away from that action and doing something different. By the way, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is the same thing. 
The two requirements of salvation from us is that we repent from our sin and we believe the gospel. It's a turning away from our sins, not just an I'm sorry for our sins and going right back to it. And Paul says we've got to repent. If you're going to be kind to one another, you've got to turn away from those things that are not kind, not kind and one of them is dishonesty. Then he says, then he says anger. By the way, anger with sin. So I would say that is outbursts. Outbursts. Or any action that would include mistreatment as a part of our anger. There's nothing wrong with being angry, especially when it's anger over unrighteousness. In fact, there is a sense in which we should have outburst over unrighteousness in some cases. But what Paul is dealing with is, you hurt my feelings and so I'm getting you back. It's an anger that that acts out toward the other person or that stews on the action that they have committed and sometimes turns out to be something where they, where they act violently or otherwise or with their words, and Paul deals with that as well. He says, don't give an opportunity to the devil. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. Your, your anger must not be laced with sin. Be careful. He says, don't steal from one another. Don't steal from one another. And isn't it interesting that in each one of these, he gives a positive affirmation on the back side. So turn from stealing. Notice it in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, the thief is out for himself. The thief says, I want what I want when I want it, and I'll use any means necessary. But the the thief that comes to faith in Christ says, no longer is that the case. I'm going to work hard and honestly because I want to be able to share what I have with others. That's a a total about face in action. It's, It's a kind of repentance that acts. No longer stealing from one another. And then corrupt and hurtful words. Notice in verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. I think that has a dual meaning. Paul is both talking about unholy things, unrighteous things, talking about things or in ways that would not be honoring to the Lord, and and we could unpack that. But only such as is good for building up. And so Paul is assuming that with those words and with those actions, you're also tearing down others. And so it's corrupt, unholy, and also hurtful words. We're to build one another up, Paul says. That's the way that we use our mouths. Fact is that all of us can probably think of a time when we were dishonest with someone, where we lashed out in anger, where we stole from someone, whether that was uh, something physical or we stole something else from them, or where we used corrupt and hurtful words to tear down someone else. Anybody, don't even, don't raise your hands, but anybody been there, you know? We've been there. And the fact is, we're, t- we're tempted real quickly to fast forward to verse 32 and say, well, we're, we're the ones that somebody else hurt, and so that's, that's me. They've done that to me. And yet, if we're really honest and we really evaluate, we've done that first. We're the ones who are in sin against God. The one who has hurt others is us. We are the offending party. You see, forgiveness does not eliminate the responsibility for our actions at all. Every person in this room under the sound of my voice and otherwise, every single person is responsible for our decisions, our actions and our attitudes before a holy God. Every one of us. And so it is all it is all of us who are required to repent. By the way, this also points to the one that is thinking that 
Um, they, they are the offended party in, in forgiveness. Like somebody has done me so much wrong that I can't forgive them. You think about it. How much wrong have you also committed? You see, we all have blind spots, don't we? Shake your head, yes. We all have blind spots. When we get so upset at someone, and yet if we really were honest, and we really self-evaluated, we would discover the things that are in our life as well. And so we must repent of our own personal offenses. And secondly, we should restore the offender. Restore the offender. There's a reason why I didn't use the word forgive here. It is forgiveness. But it is a picture that is not just of us saying some words, but there is an action that takes place whereby the forgiveness is, is acting to restore our brother or our sister. And so he says that we should be kind toward one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another. You would expect that that's the kind of thing that should go the other direction. They, they hurt me, so they, they need to start being kind to me. You use the word forgiveness and, and immediately it, it's... It messes with our, our sense of justice. They don't, they don't deserve that. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Some of you in the room might even ask the question, well, Pastor, I'm willing to forgive them. What if they don't apologize? They've they got to come to me and apologize first. And then, then I'll forgive them. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that, but they've got to apologize first. The fact is that God's Word never gives you that out. Again, it is a conditionless command. To forgive. By the way, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the word forgiveness in the Greek, it is an accounting term. How many of you have done anything with accounting before? Finances, you've done your own personal budget, I hope, anyway. Right? How many of you have debt in the room? Come on, show of hands. All right. How would you like it if that debt was erased tomorrow? Right? You paid your credit card payment and they sent you the check back or your, your transaction didn't go through because all of a sudden that debt had disappeared. That's what the word forgiveness means in the New Testament. Accountants or even tax collectors would keep a ledger of everyone who owed them money. And the word forgiveness is like, anybody heard the term debt forgiveness? That's the idea. It was as if that action has been erased. And watch this, listen to these words carefully. It's no longer held against them. When a person is forgiven debt... It is as if they do not owe it and it was never there to begin with and it does not affect their credit history or anything else at this point in their lives. It is as good as gone. And they are treated as if that debt never existed. And so how many of us hold debts? How many of us keep a ledger with names in it and everything they owe us? For some of you, that may be a whole list of people. Others, it may just be one person. And, and we keep a ledger of all of the ways that they've hurt us. You are the one that was lied to. You are the one that was attacked. You are the one that was stolen from. You are the one that was torn down with, your, with their words. And if anybody deserves to keep a record... You deserve to keep a record because you are the one who was wronged. And what God is saying to you this morning is take your eraser and erase the action out of the book and mark it debt free. 
That's what forgiveness means. You have to find healing. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All of those synonyms and intensifying of the same thing and pointing us to the reality that what unforgiveness does in us is it stirs and builds and grows and becomes pervasive like a cancer that just absolutely eats us from the inside out. And it would seem... That is impossible as cancer seems to heal. Unforgiveness would be as impossible to heal. And yet we're commanded to do it. The beauty of the gospel is that God empowers us, gives us the ability to forgive. It's not even just an action anymore. It's something that absolutely flows out of the new birth. When we're born again, we just simply have a new nature that wants to forgive other people. And so it is that we must find healing from our bitterness and our wrath and our anger and our clamor and our slander and our malice. It's full healing that is the idea, not just a simple one-time act. Maybe to say it in a different way, forgiveness is not forgetfulness. Forgiveness is total healing. By the way, It is extended, not just felt. Many times it has to be extended before it can be felt. The acts in the first part of the passage are to turn in kindness toward a person. And sometimes those acts precede the forgiveness feeling in the heart. And I want to just testify to you this morning that there may be a time in your life and some of you are there right now that you have to forgive in some acts and and act out toward that person before you begin to feel it in your heart. The lady on the video went to the prison and she wanted to meet this man and say to him, I forgive you. But before she was ever really feeling that forgiveness in her heart, it had to be spoken As she went on to act in in forgiving ways, trying to get the man's sentence cut in half and to to just just pour out love on this man, there is a feeling of forgiveness that followed actions. This is true of everything in the Christian life. We don't always feel like doing the right thing, but isn't it interesting that when we exercise the actions of our lives, that God brings about the feeling in our hearts. And so you act for the good of another. The one that wronged you, you do right toward them. And God brings about this forgiveness. Well, this last one is pretty important. In fact, I think it's the most important part of the passage. If I just told you that we should repent of our offenses and that we should forgive our offender, that would not be enough. That would not be enough because that would be your actions and your actions alone. So what is it that will actually bring about this in your life? There's a very important phrase, and then really the follow-up in the first two verses, but a very important phrase at the end of verse 32. As God in Christ forgave you. And so we must recognize our Savior. Forgiving someone is more than an ethical choice. Forgiving someone is an impossibility. And by the world's measurement, makes no sense at all. It is an unethical 
choice for someone who is a murderer, say. Why in the world would you ever forgive someone they should get what's coming to them? That's the world's sense of justice. And God's sense of justice is not too far off of that, except that God in His grace has extended the opportunity for forgiveness to all people. And need we think that we could never forgive someone at that very moment, lest we think that, that very moment, there's a need for us to turn and look at how much we've been forgiven. And God in Christ has forgiven us much. You see, all of this flows out of a relationship with Jesus whereby we have been saved, we've been born again, and the Gospel has become personal for us. It's no longer just good news for someone else, but good news for us. And then it's not a matter of should or shouldn't you. It is a matter of Christ doing it in you. Jesus has forgiven us so much. Do you realize? Do you realize how much you've been forgiven? I mean, do you really realize? We have an infinitely holy God who is worthy of complete worship unadulterated worship, total obedience without any measure of failure. And so even one offense toward a holy God is infinitely sinful. And yet what God does is He tips the scale and He says, I'm going to exchange all of your failures, by the way, which are far more than just one, church. I'm going to exchange all of your failures for the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to erase your debt out of the ledger. And when your debt is gone, all I will see in that ledger is eternal life. And forever you will be with me. And my forgiveness extends to everything you've ever done. Offered to you freely. You don't have to do enough. You can't pay back the debt. There's nothing you can do to earn it. At the end of the day, it's given to you freely. Do you realize how much God has forgiven you? We could give testimony across this room. Some of you were some really messed up people, right? Some of us were some really messed up people. Whether it's because we, we were so self-righteous that we couldn't, we couldn't love anybody, or whether it's because we were so unrighteous that we, know, we never thought anybody would ever love us, and yet God has done both of those things in Christ. And He's forgiven you and restored you. Some of you, all of you, are where you are because God has done a great thing in your life. Amen? Then who are we? Who are we to say, I must be so much more worthy than God because they don't deserve my forgiveness? Jesus said in Matthew 6 that if you forgive others your, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. See, God has forgiven us so much and we have an opportunity to display that in the church and in the world. One of our goals this year is a renewed kingdom focus. This is really, in a sense, one way we approach that. Because it says, I count the kingdom of God worth more than my own personal sense of justice. I count God's glory and His kingdom and His will and and doing things that will further the gospel and demonstrate the gospel worth more than my own reputation, my rights, my freedoms. Because Christ is worth it. And like Christ, we're willing to be dealt a bad hand. 
We're willing to be dealt unjustly because of the gospel. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How can we be anything less? How can we be anything less than forgiving in the way that Christ has forgiven us? And yet we're reminded that we must also be holy and righteous as well. And we must also restore the offender, forgiving him, and and we must also recognize our Savior's forgiveness. All of those things is a part of one simple act, Paul says. And then he says that it's imitating God. It's imitating God. Walking in love just as Christ loved us, gave Himself for us, sacrificed for us, all of these things. And so have you recognized the Savior's forgiveness of you. So is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there some grudge that you are holding on to? Is there some score that you're keeping or mental or emotional record book? And with every new record and every time you review the record, you're stirred again with the same feelings of anger and bitterness. Like these Christians at Ephesus, your unforgiveness is leading to broken relationships and unrestored relationships in your life. As Matthew West would say in the video, forgiveness is hard to live out, isn't it? It's hard. It's impossible. But Christ can do it in us. And let me warn you, the reaction, well, I'm praying about it. I'm I'm praying the Lord will help me forgive. Sometimes we use that as an excuse not to act. This is not just the words. It is an act. And some of you have been praying about forgiveness for a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, some of you 20 years. You still haven't forgiven. And I want to just tell you this morning on the authority of God's Word that that is not the God I serve. God is a God of healing. God is creating you into the image of Jesus Christ and the most forgiving person you will ever know is Jesus the Son of the living God. And if He is in you, then He is willing His good pleasure in your life. Some of you haven't forgiven, and listen to me carefully, because you've never received the forgiveness that God has to offer. Some of you can't forgive because the Spirit of God is not in you. Now, if that's not you, I want to just warn you, believer, today you need to repent. You need to turn from an unforgiving heart and you need to plead before holy God, God, would you help me? And He'll do that today. But if you're in this room and you say to me, Pastor, I've never received the forgiveness that God has to offer, today you need to come and trust in Christ. You need to come and receive God's forgiveness that He's offered through Jesus at the cross. Today you can receive that if simply you would repent of sin and turn and and believe upon Christ today. And so in just a few moments, I'm going to invite you to come and step out of the place where you'll be standing and come down here to this altar and say to me, Pastor, today I want to be forgiven. And I'll show you how to do that. Lead you to Jesus, and Jesus will do that for you in your life. Others of you in this room, you've done somebody wrong. And it's eating away at you, and you've never apologized. You've never made it right. And you need to act today and make it right. Some of you, when we start to sing, you need to walk out of the back door and call somebody, or you need to go to somebody in this room, and you need to say to them, I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. Maybe you want to come down to this altar and pray with them and begin right now restoring that relationship. We need to respond to the Lord. All across the room as we stand, I'm going to pray. 
Lord, have your way in this place, Debbie, as you come and as Debbie comes and plays. Lord, I, I pray you'd have your way in this place and in our hearts. God, that you would help us to forgive where we have been wronged. And Lord, that you would help us to ask for the forgiveness that we need from others. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that was offered for us at the cross. And we pray that today it would be real and alive in our hearts. And God, that you would have your way in us. God, that we would just trust in the gospel again and again. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As you as they sing, you come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.